morning, church family. Trust you are doing well this morning. My name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here. If you are new visiting with us, we want to let you know that our heartbeat as a church is to be simply all about Jesus. Because we believe that he's the only thing that truly matters and that when you encounter him, it changes everything. And that's why we as a church, we do all that we can to help other people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. We are going to be walking into a six-week series. It's kind of like one of those like vision series, but I do believe it's like a vision series in a different sense where it's not going to be like this rallying cry, here's the hill, let's go conquer that hill, and here's a bunch of things that we're going to do and all that kind of stuff. No, it's going to be a little bit different. And I'm excited about it because it's it, it, like in my heart, I'm like, yes, Lord, that's so beautiful and refreshing. And I've been excited in my own journey and I've been blessed by my own journey just by digging into these things. And I know that if your heart is open and if you have ears to hear, like you're going to feel that same kind of refreshing and renewing. I believe in this series, in these six weeks, we're going to see God paint a picture for us as a church of what we're going to like get a feeling of what he's going to be doing and move in our church, but not just in our church, in our community as well. We're going to be looking into and praying into and moving with something that God wants to do in any church, in every church, in every place, at every time. But the problem is, is that not every church wants what God wants, right? Like even if we were going to make that personal, it's like we don't always want what God wants, and so that's the challenge, really, of this series. And like, like, let's just be honest, like we're all guilty of this at some time, in some seasons. And God knows that, and God being gracious and merciful, abounding in love and slow to anger and long-suffering with his children, especially with his church, he knows better than any of us what is best for us, what is best for the world, what's best for Austin, as well as what's best for our internal, our souls, our spirits. And we constantly battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's at war. It rages. And sometimes we're aware of it and other times we're not aware of it. So I want you to know that as we jump into these six weeks, we're not going to be trying to place this undue burden on side of you. We're not going to try to do this little guilt trip and little like, mo- or like motivational speech series. Come on, church, let's go do this and be this. Come on, let's go. No. We want to be a church that in this season wrestles with some deep and unique questions that kind of maybe feels a little odd at first. And the question is this, does God want you to find delight and enjoyment in him? Sunday school answers do not apply here. You know, like, you know the answer, even though you may not believe it. Like, Jesus! Like, yes, yes, really. Because this question actually reveals deeper layers in your heart. Do you believe that God actually wants you to find delight and enjoyment, not in life, but in him? Where there you find it in life. And then asking the question, why or why not? Like, why are you answering the way that you're answering? And then follow it up with this. Well, how do you know this? Where's your source? What's your experience? 
You see, part of my, my pastoral rhythm and what I do is, is I, I take intentional time within the year. And sometimes it's like once a month. Sometimes it's like just every week I'll, I'll retreat into the chapel and pray. But there's once a quarter where I'll get away for three nights, four days. And I just like, I seek the Lord. I meditate. I pray. I study scripture. I'm asking the Lord, hey, like, what are you doing in my heart? Can you minister to me? And I'm also praying like, Lord, what are you doing in the hearts of our elders, our staff? And Lord, what are you doing in our church? And I'm like asking and leaning into that because like this is his church. He's the head and we're the body. And I want as best as I can to lead us to where the Holy Spirit is leading. And in those moments, I ask the Lord to fill me by the Spirit. Like I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So guide me, lead me, correct me. If I'm slipping into what I think is right, please course correct. And I'm telling you, some of those times on those retreats and times in the chapel are absolutely sweet, amazing. I feel like I could be there forever. And then the majority of the time, it's like a grind. It's like, oh, my God. okay, I'm going to pray. And it's hard. And sometimes it feels like a fight. They have to get through it. But God is so gracious because regardless of how I'm feeling, he's faithful. So this past fall in 2022, in the early part of 23, like I started to get the sense that God was doing something new in our church. And it wasn't just me, collectively, staff and leaders and elders and some other people in the church was getting the sense that God was doing something in our church, something new. And not new in the sense of history, like this has never been done before. It's like new in the season in life of Austin Oaks Church. And as we started to move into it, we started to see how it was just naturally emerging. And anytime God moves into new areas and invites us to follow him into the things that he's doing, man, it requires a lot of faith, a lot of trust, a lot of humility, because some of us love change, some of us really hate change, and we don't really know. How do we know it's God? How do we not know it's God? And all these types of things start to kind of like rage within a portion of scripture started to stir in my heart, and it was Isaiah 43, where God's like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And even now, it's springing forth. It's coming from the ground. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? And so it wasn't like we had to go out and manufacture it to happen. God was like already stirring it up, already making it like kind of burst through the soil as it were. And what I found fascinating is it was I was like wrestling with that in my own time with the Lord. I started sharing some of this with some people. And that exact passage was the same passage that was moving in their hearts. And we started to see how just naturally and organically a desire for multi-generational connection and community and discipleship and worship was bursting forth in our church. And it was a beautiful thing. Now, all that to say, like when it was said and done, like I was like, awesome, this is what you're doing, Lord. But like he had so much more that he had planned for our church. And like just embarrassing, like I didn't think it was anything more than just that. So I went back to Isaiah 43. And I started to see this other passage in verse 19 where he starts talking about like he's going to like make streams in the desert, streams in the wilderness. And that really started to catch my heart. Anytime you see streams and rivers mentioned in the Old Testament, it's this allusion to like the presence of God. And now we know because of the New Testament shows this that it's a representation of the Holy Spirit. 
in, in, in early on in, 20, in uh, January, like, I was like, okay, Lord, I, I feel like you want us to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And, and I was like, okay. Started to write it out. Somewhere in late April, early May, I'm in the chapel, I'm praying, and, and I just want to let you know what I'm going to share with you is a bit vulnerable because I know, like, people would be like, either he's crazy or this or whatever. Like, I'm just telling you my experience. As I was praying in the chapel, I was asking the Holy Spirit to minister to my heart. I needed personal encouragement in that moment, and I wanted to be shown what he was doing in our church. Like, Lord, what are you doing? And a thought in the form of an image or a picture came into my mind, and, and I saw something very similar to this picture. And what I was visualizing was like this, this canyon that was carved out. And it was a deep ravine. And you could tell that it once was a, like, a mighty river that was going through. But at the bottom of the floor between the two canyons was like this dried up, feeble, like water riverbed that was there. And you know that if it were to rain, it would once again become a mighty river. And, and so as I was looking that, like I was just like, okay, Lord, I want to make sure that this isn't like, you know, food poisoning or like me trying to over-spiritualize things and going, I don't know what's this. Like, I was like, Lord, what, what, what does this mean? And like, I, I simply just, I, the longer I walked with the Lord, the simpler my questions have become like, Holy Spirit, is this you? Was my question. <laughs> like, because if it's not, I don't want to think about this anymore and this is just weird. Is this you? If so, what does it mean? What are you showing me? What are you getting at? And so then a thought popped in my mind, and it was this phrase, water always makes a way. Okay, so then I started thinking about that, and I'm trying to figure it out like it's a puzzle. I'm like, oh, does that mean like, you know, water carves a path? Does it mean like the water is like energy? Does it mean like water erodes or like water can't be contained? Is it like when my roof was leaking and I couldn't figure it out? Like, what does this mean? And, and I kept wrestling with it, but then out of nowhere, Ezekiel 47 pops into my mind. Honest embarrassment confession. I didn't know there was an Ezekiel 47. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, you've done that like, okay, Lord, just put a passage in my mind. Anything, anything, anything. And it's just like, I don't know, Joel 30. And you, like, you didn't even know. You're like, you didn't know that Joel only has three chapters. And you go there and you put, find out it doesn't have 30 chapters. And you're like, okay, that wasn't me. Right? Like, that's kind of how I was feeling. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Ezekiel 47. And I did. And here's what I found. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Next he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate that faced east. And there was water trickling from the south side. As the man went out east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a third of a mile and he led me through the water. It came up to my ankles. And then he measured off another third of a mile, and he led me through the water, and it came up to my knees. He measured off another third of a mile, and it led me through the water. It came up to my waist. Again, another third, and it was a river that I could not cross on foot. The water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be crossed on foot. And then he asked me, do you see this son of man? And then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I returned... I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the riverbank. And he said to me, this water flows out of the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah. And when it enters the sea, the sea of the foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh. 
Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows. And there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there. Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Okay, God, you got my attention. Holy Spirit series is coming up in June. And I've shared this before. Anytime I preach a series on the Holy Spirit, I get nervous. I get timid. I get a little bit scared. I've had experiences when you preach about the Holy Spirit, things come out of the woodwork. And you're like, why did you show up at that time? You know, it's like things start to happen. And so I was nervous and unsure if I was hearing right or even unsure, like, how is the church going to respond? Because unfortunately, the Holy Spirit has become a divisive issue in the church. If that's not a work of the devil, I don't know what is. And what if something, again, weird happens? Well, that's exactly what happened. The first Sunday, the first message was preaching on being filled with the Spirit. And I look over here in this side of the room. I see a guy I've never seen before, dreadlocks, all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm not trying to be rude, but there's, there's a homeless guy that was walking around our campus. He had dreadlocks, long hair. And I thought that was him. I was like, awesome, he's in church today. And I made nothing more of it. And at the end of the message before communion, I just gave this invitation. Like, hey, if you want to come up to get prayed for, come on up. And, and so let me back up one Sunday. The Sunday before the series started, I'm over here in the front and um, vulnerable with you, okay? Don't ever use this stuff against me. Um, well, you can if you want. But if you ever wonder why Brandon doesn't always stay up front when he's done preaching, it's because Brandon feels insecure. And Brandon wants to go walk in the back and hide. I was up here and I was just like wrestling with this stuff. And I just felt like God said, stay up here, I'm going to do something. I was like, okay. So I stayed up there that Sunday. Nothing happened. I was like, well, okay. So first series, filled with the Spirit. I'm standing here before communion. And I was like right there in that seat. And I slowly kept drifting over to the shadows. And I was like slowly just like going off. All of a sudden, that guy with the dreadlocks comes walking up. And he grabs my arm. Like not just like gently. Like he grabs my arm and drags me with him in the front, and I'm going, here it is. I'm dead. Like, I was like, what's going to happen? I don't even know you. Like, and I'm like, I'm, like, of course, every thought is going through my mind, and he brought me up to right here, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, and I'm like starting to get nervous, and all he does is worship. He just stands there. He's raising his hand in worship, and then when the song's done, it's time for communion. He just goes right back to his seat, and I'm like, I got to do communion now. <laughs> like, I, I, so I go up, I do communion, and I immediately went, I got to talk to this guy. I got to know what that was. So I go to him, and I say, hey, man, tell me about what was just happening there. And he was just like, well, I'm from California. I'm here on work, and I came to church with my friends, and I used to go to church. I believe in Jesus. It's been some time. I woke up that morning, I'm brushing my teeth, and I said, okay, Lord, I need to be filled with the Spirit. And he said, when I heard you preaching on being filled with the Spirit, I knew God was seeing me and God was meeting me. And so when I gave the invitation to come up to be filled by the Spirit, he, he said, like, he felt like God challenged him. He's like, if you really are serious about this, humble yourself and go up. And he was like, okay. And he was saying, he's like, I'm not, this, I'm not a crazy Pentecostal guy. Like, I've never done this before. Of course, 
the cynic in me, I was like, you lie, you know? It, but then I was like, okay, then I had to ask, I was like, why did you grab me? Like, I was like, I don't know you. That was pretty bold, buddy, you know? And he's like, as I was walking forward, I felt like God said, bring him with you. And I said, oh, do tell, why? Because God didn't, God didn't give me any message like that. Like, what's going on, he, what he said, he's like, I just feel like God wanted to encourage you to say that you're on the right path. And I just sat there, and I'm like, Lord, you're so good. Water makes a way. It starts as a trickle. And then out of that series, we started to, like, people were coming forward, wanted to be filled with the Spirit, people convicted of serious sin that you know that the Holy Spirit was doing the work, and people confessing their sin, and, and, like, even in their embarrassment and, and, like, lack of, like, acknowledging the Holy Spirit and wanting to live by the Holy Spirit and, like, wanting the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've had people, I'm not kidding you, okay? Like, just, just we're not being that crazy church, so stop thinking that. That one Sunday when my mic didn't work and I came back here to grab the mic, anybody was here that Sunday? Okay, one of the guys that I've been ministering to for about a year, he's going through something serious and he's really doubting and he's really struggling with wanting to bring something into the light. And so he didn't know if he could trust God's heart. He doesn't often come to church, but like I invited him to come and Saturday night he said he had a dream. And as I was preaching, again, did the thing, come on up if you want to be prayed for. I'm over here just waiting for people to come up to get prayed. Nobody's there. I see him in the dark. Like, I can tell he wants to be prayed for, but he's too embarrassed to come forward. So I go over to him. I'm like, dude, what's going on? I can tell he was crying. And I was like, what? He goes, Brandon, I came to church this morning because last night I had a dream. And in that dream, you were preaching. And within the first three minutes, your mic didn't work. You had to grab a mic, and you came up. I know it's ridiculous. I know it could be coincidence, but I just felt like God saying, you can trust me. I was like, awesome. That same Sunday, there's exchange, there's people here from Germany. One girl in particular can't speak English really, really well. Not a believer. A lot of things happen in her life. A lot of darkness in her life. Pray for her. She needed basically an interpreter to understand good English. I need one too, apparently. <laughs> my, my grammar's bad. You're like, he needs one. <laughs> I find out later, later, that when I was preaching, she understood every word I was saying in perfect English, translated to her in German. Like she was understanding it all. She received Jesus that morning right here with someone in our church. I didn't know that then. And I'm like, okay, Lord. Water makes a way. What are, you, what are you doing? Right? And so that's where it's like this series is it's not so much like, hey, we're going to be this crazy church that does all these things and we're going to pass around snakes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, this is more of like, Lord, how do we become a church that lives and swims in the deep end with you? That wants to go where the river goes. That is not okay with just a trickle, but we want to be that that represents the flow of the river. Water makes a way. And anytime we see these images of water in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it's always this image of life, abundance, joy, delight, enjoyment. That's why I'm asking the question, do we believe that God actually wants us to enjoy him? 
because that will influence where we are drawing our water from. It will reveal to us what well we are going to. And that will indicate what we do as a church. It's time for the church to realize that the influence and the potency of the church is not dependent or contingent on the pastoral staff. Can I say that again? Staff, where are you, right? You're like, yes, please. It's like so long the church thinks that if we got amazing pastors, amazing worship, amazing preachers, our church will be influential. No. As long as the staff are faithful to the word of God and obedient to the word of God, the church then has to enjoy God. The church has to take their responsibility serious. Then when we are that, life starts to emerge where the river goes. So I'm, I'm a little fired up this morning. The Lord ministered to my heart this morning. And, and I needed it. So I want you to go now to Ezekiel 47. And as you go there, and as you try to find it, I want to share with you a little bit of American history. And I stumbled upon this story, and I found it rather fascinating. Back in the 1700s, French settlers landed in this area that came to be known as the Little Gulf, which was, in other words, New Orleans' sister. It was like the smaller New Orleans. It was perfectly placed right on the Mississippi River. Everything was set up perfectly where that town would flourish. Over time, a guy by the name of Thomas Kelvin bought the city. Apparently, you can buy cities. He didn't want to keep the name this little sister of New Orleans, so he renamed the city in honor of his mentor, Rodney. So now it's Rodney, Mississippi, and it, this town became one of the most prosperous and wealthy towns in America. By the mid-1800s, it was the innovator of the cotton industry, the cotton gin, and in different ways of like maximizing the, the outcome of a, uh, of a cotton crop. Rodney became the busiest port in America on the Mississippi. And by the late 1700s, there were factories and schools and hotels and restaurants and homes. Like, you got to imagine, again, 1700s, that, like, that's not normal. It almost became the capital of Mississippi. It missed the vote by three. Now, something happened to Rodney that nobody foresaw coming. Over time the river began to change its course. Because right by Rodney, Mississippi, somehow in the flow, sediment would build up. And eventually it built up so much that the river couldn't go through it. And so water, finding a way, created a new path for the river. And slowly and slowly and slowly, by the early 1900s, Rodney, Mississippi was no longer on the river. It was about three miles away from the river. And now Rodney is nothing close to what it once was. It's one of the most traveled ghost towns. It's a shell of itself. Nobody lives there. All you see are echoes and shadows of what once was 
at Romney, Mississippi. And I share that story as a warning and as an encouragement. A warning because it's important for us to make sure we are planted by the river. To make sure that we don't have a sediment buildup. And if the river changes courses, that if he's doing a new thing and moving in a new direction, we go with it. Because otherwise we will find ourselves very similar to Rodney. But it also serves as a means of hope that as long as you are planted by the river, that's where life is. That's where vitality is. That's where like abundance is, is right there. Ezekiel 47, 9. I want you to commit this verse to memory. It says this, everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. Water is essential for life, it's powerful, it's a significant compound that we absolutely love and take for granted. It serves so many purposes. It's powerful enough to carve out paths. It can erode canyons, right? It makes a way. Water purifies, it cleanses, it even flushes out the impurities. It can create, it provides, it shapes, it energizes, restores, renews, refreshes. It provides hope and enables growth and flourishing. So like if you were to go to Israel today, you would understand the significance of water, the significance of where a river or a stream is in a desert environment. So I, I got this picture that I want to show you of the Wadi Kelt. The Wadi Kelt is actually the Judean wilderness where Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Now everywhere in the Wadi Kelt is barren. It looks like death. But somehow, some way, when we were walking to Wadi Kelts, some water found a way through the limestone. And what you see is life. That's it. That's the only place you saw green. Everything else was dead. They understood these imagery about water in the desert. They understood what it would look like. They understood what it would mean. The question is, do we? Look at Psalm 46. Verse 5. God is within her. Speaking of Jerusalem in the temple. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Oh, not there. In her, there's this river. Talks about in that psalm. And in that river, it's like the delight of the Lord is found there. They understood that. Prosperity, abundance, everything where the river goes, there is life. So before we get into Ezekiel 47, we need to understand a little bit of a buildup because Ezekiel is one of the craziest Old Testament books ever. It's, it is, it's a book that can really make you feel crazy. Because you're like, what is wheels spinning this way and that way? But anyway, the whole book, Ezekiel gets these visions of God about Israel's present state. And it's a powerful thing because it's meant to like produce the conviction in the present, but they provide hope for the future. And he's getting these images of like God's presence leaving the temple. And it's a terrifying thought because Israel has committed evil and now they're going to be moving into exile. God gives strong rebukes to the shepherds of Israel who are supposed to be the shepherds of God's people who were neglecting them and even using them for their own personal gain. And then out of nowhere, God 
God gives Ezekiel two revival visions. And that's what they are, two revival visions, Ezekiel 37 and Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 37 is the valley of dry bones. The messenger, which we know, is God brings him to this valley. He looks in the valley. It's full of death. It's full of bones. And then he's asked this question, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel probably had a knee-jerk reaction. No, of course not. Bones are bones. There's no life. But he's wise enough to know he's talking to a heavenly being, right? It's like, I don't know. Only God knows, (laughs) right? And so he's like, you're right prophesy to these bones. And as he speaks life into these bones, you see it like flesh comes on them, muscles come back and ligaments are there. They're standing up, but there's still no life in them. And so he says like, is there life? No, there's no life. Can they live? You're like, okay, you do it. Breathe the breath of God, the four winds of God to come and prophesy that, that it would blow inside of them. And when the breath of God, the wind of God enters, they live. Death to life, revival. It's an image of Genesis 2. When God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, you got bones, ligaments, muscles, flesh, but no life. When did life enter Adam? Oh, when God breathed in him. When did life enter the church? When the wind of God came in Acts 2. Bones with flesh, ligaments, muscles, now have the life of God. It's a revival picture. And then chapters 40 through 46 is God giving Ezekiel a plan to rebuild the temple. In there, the presence of God comes back and the east gate is shut. And then we get chapter 47. 47 verses 1 and 2. He brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east, and the water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Notice that, okay? Because we're going to come back to that. Next, he brought me out by the north gate, because the east gate is closed and never to be opened, brings him back around, and now he's standing outside of the east gate, and, and he sees water trickling. It's like, well, what, what is going on here? So I got this picture, and I, I don't know how it's going to look on there, but I was trying to go, okay, like, to help you see maybe where he's standing in this vision. Like, like on this, to the right of the altar is, like, the, the outer gate, right? So he's, he's about in there, and he's looking in, and he can see water coming out of the Holy of Holies. And it's running past that altar there, which is where they would make burnt offerings, Right? Like even where the atonement would happen. And Chad last week said that the altar is really kind of like the cross and Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God without, ble- like, without air, without fl- like sin inside of him. So he was the perfect sacrifice once and for all in the altar. And then we see now in this image the river going right past that altar. And so now he's outside and he looks and he sees water like coming underneath the doorway. When I see water coming out of a door, my first thought is, which kid left a faucet running? Like, is anybody going to mop this up? Like, what's going on here? Like, 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 hey, angelic guide, there's a leak. 
What's going on? Like, like, like he has no idea what any of this means in this moment. He just sees this little trickle coming out. Maybe it wasn't underneath the door, but maybe it was coming through the rocks, but we don't know. But what we do know is that Ezekiel was like being built up to some crazy climax of some major move of God, some massive revival because the valley of dry bones, God's people are alive, the temple's rebuilt, and all of these things are there, and now it's just a little trickle. He's like, what's going on? Well, the guide has him right where he wants him. Verse 3, as the man goes out east, he takes a measuring line, he measures off a third of a mile, and it leads him through the water, and it comes up to his ankles. And then he measured off another third, led him through the water, it came up to his knees, and he measured off another third, and it came up to his waist. Okay, we have to picture this, because otherwise we completely miss it. He's not walking next to the water. The guide is leading him through the water. So at first, he's, he's walking on the little trickle. I just, I'm such a dork. Like, I just picture him just going, puddles, right? Okay. And just seeing it. But as he's going, he's, he's starting to, like, you got to understand the topography of this area. So I got a picture of the east gate from the Garden of Gethsemane. Just if you look at it, you'll see the two gates that are kind of, like, closed up there. And the dome, the golden dome up there, that's where, like, the the Holy of Holies is said to have been. So where this picture is taken is in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you go down from the East Gate, and you go down the Kidron Valley. And then about a third of a mile, if you were to measure that, is right when it starts to kind of go up the Mount of Olives. So he gets to that spot. The water has increased to his ankles. And he goes another third up the Mount of Olives. The water is now up to his knees. Now you're at the top of the Mount of Olives and you go back down the valley, enter into a desert, and the water is up to his waist. Like, that's got to be perplexing. There's no other source of water. There's no other tributary. And the only source of water came from the Holy of Holies. And it was just a little trickle that somehow, some way, is going down and going up and going down, crossing over limestone that completely absorbs the water. And the water is getting deeper and wider. And he's walking through it. Now, remember the first time you ever walked into a lake or an ocean? And as you're Walking out, you're like, okay, I'm good. All of a sudden, you're like, whoop. You hit that spot, and it's like, whoop, the water's up to here. You all have it. I know you do. You get that moment of fear, just a little bit. And then you maybe hear your mom, not too deep. your, Your pace walking in the water slows down as well. The current picks up. And so he's going, it's getting deeper and deeper. And the next thing you know, he keeps going out another third, another third. And now he's treading water. He can't touch the bottom. What was that like your first time? I bet you probably had a little bit of fear. Where's the side of the pool? I got to get to the side of the pool. Okay, okay. I mean, you only can tread water for so long. You're human. And he's there, right? And he's trying to figure this all out. And in this moment, I find this hilarious. As he's treading, verse 6, he's asked, do you see this son of man? I imagine him going, no. Like he's just trying hard to not die. And he's probably trying to figure this all out. Do you see this? The guy takes him to the shore. I mean, the whole time, 
As he's walking in the water, he's missing the revival, the, the beauty, the trees, everything that's happening around him. But he gets to the side and he looks and he sees absolutely something stunning. If you were to look at the scene that Ezekiel is looking at today, here's what you would see. A dry, barren wasteland. That's what you would see, literally. That's the exact location. But now, because the river that started as a trickle is moving all the way through, it is full of life. Everywhere the life goes, it touches. Are you starting to feel the imagery here? Okay, he continues in verse 8. This water flows out of the eastern region down into the desert and eventually reaches the sea of foul water. Anybody want to guess what that sea is? The Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? I don't think too hard. Nothing can live in it. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It has 10 times more salt than regular seawater. The salt content is, is a result of its location being the lowest point of the earth. It doesn't have an outlet. Water flows from the Jordan. And in Bible times, the water that came from the Jordan was fresh water. Now it's a little bit more salty because of all the agriculture and chemicals that are influencing the Jordan. But at the time, it was fresh water. And everybody knows that fresh water, when it encounters salt water, fresh water doesn't convert salt water into fresh water. Fresh water is converted to salt water. And so here's the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in it. And so it's this ominous place of nothingness, impossibility. No life can thrive there. They estimate 37 billion tons of salt is in the Dead Sea. That's a lot of salt. I don't like the Dead Sea. It's not that fun. If you ever go, no point. You float. You're like, oh, this is fun. And then you get salt water in your mouth and in your eyes and in all your cuts and in all your wounds. Oh, let's put mud on ourselves. It's a waste. The impossible becomes possible. That's the imagery. The impossible becomes possible. The dead are raised to life. The God who calls sees things that are not sees them as though they were. Only through God. This is gospel life. Verse 9 through 12 starts to talk about all of the transformation that happens because of the river. Wherever it flows and wherever it touches, life, fruit, growth, healing, power, vitality are always in abundance if it's by the river. Every kind of creature that swarms in the Ziski's translation parentheses minus mosquitoes, just saying, will live there wherever the river flows. There's going to be a huge number of fish because the living water goes there. There's going to be this huge number of fish because of that, and it's going to be all sorts of different types of fish. Oh, and there's going to be fishermen there. Huh. I feel like Jesus said something about that. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And fish of every kind, well, that feels like every tongue, every tribe, every ethnicity, every race. 
and then En Gedi and the other little village that's there will now come fishing attractions, <laughs> which is hilarious. Because here's a picture of En Gedi. Yeah, I want to go fish there. Right? That's what it looks like by the Dead Sea. But now fishermen are going to come and they're going to dry their nets there because that's where they're going to fish. That's where they're going to fish. Variety of trees, variety of fruits. The leaves will never wither. The fruit will always come. Every month, new and fresh fruit. Almost as if God is saying, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm never going to run out. I'm never going to dry. I'm always going to satisfy. You'll always have a reason to have a new song. I'm never going to get old. I'm never going to get stale. Everything you desire is in me. Fruit for eating and its leaves for healing. Not spiritual healing, friends, because that happened when they by the river. This is physical healing. This is medicinal. This is the kingdom of God. Like, preach the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. Like, it's there. Whatever it touches, it brings to life. Are you seeing this, church? Like, this is important. Multiple places in the Old Testament, this same thing is talked about over and over and over. But Jesus talks about this. The Gospels paint this. John chapter 4, Jesus goes through Samaria, meets a woman at the well, a Samaritan, who's already in exile of the people of God, and she's got another mark on her. She's a sinner. Jesus comes, asks for some water. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, how could you ask for water? You don't have a bucket. And Jesus is like, well, if you would have known who was asking you, you would have asked him for living water. Say, what? Yeah, I will dig a well in your heart and that water will never cease flowing. It will bring every desire you want. Wait, where's that living water? Where is it? The water she was digging and going for were men and relationships trying to take that fresh water to her Dead Sea and thinking that fresh water would convert the Dead Sea to fresh water, but salt water always converts fresh water unless it's the river of life. John 7, Feast of the Tabernacles, sermon next week. Come to me, all you are thirsty. I am the living water. And that festival was a celebration of Ezekiel 47. Jesus is going, this is me. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, forever to dwell with us, never to leave again. The Holy Spirit promised to live and dwell within us. And when he died, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else was torn to show us that his presence is accessible in an intimate way for all who trust in him. Oh, and there's the fish and fisherman thing. Like, there's good fish in the sea. If you follow me, you're going to be fishers of people. And the dead and sins alive in Christ. Like, Jesus is our living hope. We have the kingdom, authority, and power through the Holy Spirit, like we have all of these things to be able to say amen to the promises of God where we experience the joy, the vitality, the peace and abundance that only comes from Jesus. We see this outpouring of the water in Acts chapter 2. Not only do you see the wind of God of Ezekiel 47, you see the pouring out of his spirits prophesied through Joel chapter 2. Jesus is the one who will raise the dead. All of us who put our trust in Jesus, we are now the temple of God, where the presence of God dwells, where the river is supposed to come out of us. Church, this is vital, not just for us only, 
but for a world out there. Water will always make a way. Why does this matter today for you? We're going to get personal, then we're going to get corporate as a church. Do you believe God wants you to enjoy him? All right, who's the guilty party? If that's not the bears, get out. Seriously, come on now. That just like just stirred up all sorts of sin in me. Like now I want to go watch football. Come on. <laughs> that was awesome. And not. Shame on you. I'm just kidding. Do you believe? <laughs> I just got, I'm gone, man. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I, I'm stuck. Let's go to this point. <laughs> I want to ask this question in a different way. If God doesn't want us to enjoy him, then why does he talk about it so much? If God doesn't want us to thrive, then why does he talk about it so much? If God doesn't want to revive us, revive our church and transform our worlds, why did he go through all the trouble, all the pain, all the suffering, the injustice, to make a way for it, to make rivers in the desert? Why does he risk constant rejection? Maybe the issue is we just don't trust his heart. Or maybe the issue is we're still convinced that us playing the role of God is better than God playing God. And we know what's right and best for us and what will satisfy us. We were created to live by one water source, to draw water from one well. So the question is, where are you drawing your water from? You will always be thirsty. If you drink salt water, you're going to be thirsty. And if you drink too much salt water, you die. There's only one water source that will quench your thirst. Jeremiah 2, God is heartbroken because he's shocked that his people would forget him. And he says in verse 13, my people have committed two sins or two evils, two wrongs. They have abandoned me. They have forgotten me. I'm not their priority. And as they have done that, they dug out cisterns, broken cisterns that don't hold water. Or you could say they dug wells. They've forgotten, abandoned the fountain of living water. The apostle Paul came to understand this, Philippians 3. What I considered gain is now all a loss. For what? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I'll lose everything if I get to know him more. Well, why would he say that? Is he just a glutton for pain and suffering? He knew right there that that's where abundance of joy and peace is. That's where he gets to enjoy God. He knows because God enjoys him. 
The thief comes. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. I don't know about you, but sometimes, I'm going to be honest, I want to stop the flow of water. In my old house in Winona, we remodeled the whole thing, redid the roof. But for some dumb reason, the chimney leaked every time it rained. I couldn't figure it out. I would do everything in my power to make sure I could stop that leak. I would get anxious if I knew rain was in the forecast because it would leak. And sometimes that's how I feel with God. Because I know God is jealous for me. He loves me. He pursues me. And there's times where I'm just selfish, childish, and stubborn. And I'm like, I'm going to try to stop that flow of water. Stay away. But water makes a way. I don't know, some of you need to dig, to stop digging wells and allow Jesus to dig a well in your heart. You, you need to allow him to be that living water. And some of you who have followed the Lord for some time, maybe you're like Rodney, Mississippi. Like, you don't even realize that you, you have drifted away from the river. That's Revelation 3. They've forgotten the first love. Return. Repent. But church, I want to ask you this question as a church. For us. Do we as a church, I'm dead serious, do we as a church want to build walls around the temple? Or do we want to be like the river that flows out of the temple? God, we got to be holy. We got to be set apart. It's all does keep the world out there. But you see the river going out. And where does it go? To the most impossible place the Dead Sea and transforms it. Will we move with God through the water and will we stop being content at ankle deep water? Will we have the courage to get in the deep end? Will we have the courage to stop treading water in the deep end? You know what the world sees when you're in the deep end? A lot less of you. You know what they see at ankle deep water? A whole lot of you. Makes me think of John the Baptist. I must decrease. He must increase. And if you follow the flow of water, he's going to take you to where he's reviving people and he wants you to fish. Fish. We're going to unpack a lot more of this in the next five weeks to come. And I want you just to wrestle with this. Because, like, I am believing that God is doing something sweet in our church. And I just want you for a moment as we end here just to imagine with me. Imagine with me that Austin Oaks Church is a church that moves with the river 
and is no longer content with ankle-deep water, but is willing to go into the deep end where Jesus is greater. Imagine us being a church where people come in and they immediately sense the presence of God, where even unbelievers go, man, God is surely amongst them. Imagine a church where we are excited and eager to want to worship with each other, where we are constantly wanting to bring a sacrifice of praise, where we want to offer our lives back to God. Imagine us being a church that doesn't feel like we have to do something to get joy, but we have joy because he enjoys us, right? Like imagine being a church that takes her kingdom responsibility seriously only because we are compelled by the love of Jesus. Imagine a church that is absolutely captivated by Jesus, that it's moved to prayer and it's constantly being fueled by prayer. Imagine being a church that is not okay at all, that the younger generations do not know Jesus and is willing to do anything and everything, even just to reach one. Imagine being a church that will not get wrapped up in the political scene, but wrapped up in the kingdom. Imagine being a church that will do everything to build its life off of the foundation of Jesus and humbly accept the implanted word of God that saves. Imagine that God uses Austin Oaks Church to launch a revival movement where the river flows out of us, starts as a trickle, and it influences Austin, Texas, and it moves out into the world. Why not? Imagine a church that worships God in the splendor of his holiness, a church that gives a grace upon grace, upon grace, but it also is wanting and willing to speak the truth in love. A church that seeks to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A church that is not afraid, but desires to be holy, blameless, and pure before God and hates sin. A church that loves their enemy and makes a space for every person imaginable. A church where authenticity and vulnerability is the hallmark. A church where we see the emerging generations captivated by Jesus. Your kingdom come. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. I end with this. And then he showed me the river. He showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are healing for the nation. Sound familiar? The, and there will... And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads night and day, will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We move best as a church when we believe that God wants us to enjoy him because then we are compelled by his love and we are no longer okay 
with a world that is dead in the Dead Sea. Jesus, I pray for us in this series that you would just grab our hearts, that you would stir us up. God, help us to catch hold of your heart. Lord, I pray that um, you would forgive us of those areas where we are tempted to dig our own wells still. And I'm thankful, Lord, that your spirit keeps pursuing us, that is jealous for us, that longs to be gracious to us. Lord, we pray that we would take our kingdom responsibility seriously to enjoy you, to be with you, to relate to you, but also to realize that we are to go out. We, as the temple of God, with the Holy Spirit residing in us, we are supposed to move out. And it, sometimes it just starts as a trickle, and, and then it slowly progresses. And Lord, we just ask that we would never get like grow weary or discouraged by small beginnings, like it says in Zechariah 4. Don't despise those day of small beginnings. Lord, we just pray. We ask that you would guide us, lead us through the river. Lord, we want to be in that deep end with you. And Lord, would you use us, Lord, to see the dead come to life. Lord, prepare our hearts for what you are doing. In Christ's name. Amen.